0: everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me john luke welch make some noise clap it up wherever you are we are back with another jam-packed episode for you today covering the world of boxing covering the world of the nba covering the world of the nfl wild card season now come Came and went with some very surprising performances, specifically from the Cowboys and the Eagles. Oh my goodness! On top of we gotta cover the NBA with Joel Embiid and Jokic going up against each other head to head. And after this incredible showing, not just by both performances, by both performance but specifically by Joel Embiid, who is indeed the leading candidate for MVP. But before we get to all that, we gotta cover the world of boxing and Archer better be having his dominant performance against. Callum Smith, all that's going to be covered on this show, thank you so much for tuning in thank you so much for listening, if you're again we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts uh, 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 Google Podcasts Wherever you can name us, we are there. If that we will get there, and right here on YouTube, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire of the community together. That is right, get to a thousand, then ten thousand, hundred thousand. Who knows how big this channel can be with the support and sharing of you, the public, and people. So again, thank you all for all of your support, comments, likes, keep on liking the video so we can get this podcast up and running greatest pop stars everywhere on every podcasting platform. And without further ado, let us jump right into the world of boxing for the first segment. And we are to talking about boxing. It is time to step into the ring. That is right ring the bell. Let's get it started on this boxing segment of the World Report. Round one underway. Talking about the dominant performance of Archer Benebier as he KOs Callum Smith in 7-4 or to retain the unified light heavyweight title in this fight. And in this fight was, if I didn't get to cover this fight, and get a protection for this fight, sadly, but it went about like I would have expected it to go. When it came to these two fighting, Callum Smith was a brother who, coming into this fight, had now gotten comfortable at light heavyweight after getting battered and beaten by Sal Canelo Alvarez at super middleweight, moved up to light heavyweight, got comfortable, scored some very vicious KOs, looked like a completely different fighter, looked like a fully flushed out but the council that we expected to see going into that fight with Canelo now was apparent amongst the rest of the light, light heavyweight division, excuse me, and he looked comfortable, looked full, looked quick, looked fast, looked Powerful, especially with that left hook that he's got on him. Boy, that thing is a lethal weapon at his disposal. And he showed it in his last two outings with early KOs, I believe, in the second and in the fourth round. Now going up against Arthur better be of a destructive force, unlike anything else, not just in the light heavyweight division, but in all the boxing. One of D right now. She'll be seen as one of the pound for pound best fighters in the world at this point in time, no doubt about it, with how dominant he's been over these past couple, shoot, years, if we're being completely honest. Not to mention the age, but it's about to turn 39, nearly 40, and he's still putting out these incredibly, I mean, just insanely harsh, destructive demolition jobs on his own quality opponents and that's the second we did against Callum Smith give that man all the credit in the world because this brother is a bona fide great in this era of boxing I've talked about him before and this was another instance to get up or rather, stay up late into the night and watch this maestro of destruction go to work and that's exactly what he did this man came out and again against a game Callum Smith went to work Let's break down the fight. How second did this fight go? Well, we saw this man, Archibald Abbeev, go against Callum Smith and immediately come out the aggressor. We know Archibald Abbeev normally is somebody who doesn't start out quick, doesn't start out as fast. It's, a, it's more of a slow, revved-up engine. Once he gets warm, that's when everything comes into play. But before then, stuff gets takes a little time to get going. Some, some capitulate that to age. Others capitulate that to just his style. Either way, is a, a known tendency of it. We didn't let that happen in this fight. Callum Smith being a rangy, long, and when he is able to fight from range, speedy and underratedly powerful fighter, at least now that we see what his power really can be at like every anyway, he didn't let that happen. He didn't let Callum Smith get comfortable from being on the outside and using that length and reach to his advantage with that jab no he came out and since he bum rushed the brother, came out early and aggressive with with big shots well not really big shots more so peppering shots but closing the distance forcing Callum Smith to the ropes and constantly allowing his volume and his pressure make Callum Smith uncomfortable and he did that for the first two rounds the stayed true all night long up until well well more so that did stay true all night long but it wasn't this outright overt at least until the seventh round it was more so this set the tone for the fight this got him out to an early lead this got him out to an early advantage both in points and psychologically in Callum smith's mind because it caused Callum smith now to have to be forced to get into a similar position that he was when he fought against canelo alvarez Fighting on the back foot, fighting on the ropes, having to try to mitigate all this big pressure coming from this incredibly powerful, incredibly destructive, and incredibly consistent puncher in Artur Ibev. And, and for the first three rounds, he did just that. And then in the third round, that's when things really started turning up for Artur Ibev. Artur Ibev started winning strictly with the jab. Changed up his game plan, changed up his scheme. Instead of just being an outright aggressive puncher, he came out and started using his jab in an educated yet forceful fashion. And this is one of the things I love about Archie Bedebue. His game plan is simplistic destruction. I have talked about this before when it comes to Archie Bedebue. When it comes to him as a boxer, this is the man who he doesn't fight pretty. He doesn't fight with a incredibly... A uh, 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 appealing, quote unquote, style. He's not slick. He's not shoulder Building on himself, he doesn't waste any movement at all. And this man does the he's the simplistic way to get the job done in the most efficient fashion. That's what makes him. That's one thing that makes him such a devastating force in the boxing world. He doesn't do too much, and he only does just enough to get the job done. Does just enough to get out the way. Does just enough to get what to, to put you in the spot that he wants you to do and doesn't do anything else. And does just enough to adapt and change, to make a new game plan, without over exaggeratingly, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. Without overadvertently make, go, doing excruciating, exaggerated style of changes that could potentially hurt his style, waste his energy, waste his gas tank. Especially at this stage, even though we know Arthur Abiel has a quality stamina gas thing at his disposal. But when it comes to what he did in this fight, he utilized the jab in the best way I have ever seen him in his career. It was stunning. It was consistent. It was powerful. It was, and, and unlike what we say about, about the jab and punching as a whole in the world of boxing, when it comes to the speed at which you punch, Having a consistent speed can, at times, make you predictable. If you punch at the same rate, same speed, same trajectory, and same rhythm every single time, that can make you predictable and vulnerable to counter, counter, countering windows. Left, right, and center. And Archibald Beaver is not necessarily a quick fighter. He's not a fast fighter. He doesn't have incredibly quick hands on him. But his understanding of the boxing game made it so that even that consistent jab, that constant rhythmic jab, still was something that Callum Smith couldn't get away from. From round three to the rest of the night, he was winning that fight strictly with just using that jab alone, with them having the shorter reach, with them having the shorter height event, with him, with him being the infighter in this fight, and not the outfighter. He was winning the fight from the outside while being the shorter fighter. This was a man in Artur Beterbiev who was catching Callum Smith with every single angle that Smith was trying to use to get away and get some new found footing to get away from that major pressure. He didn't come in with big shots. He didn't come in with with over-exerting, uh, swinging hooks. This man only used his jab to bludgeon, damage, swell up and cut Callum Smith. That was it. It was so simple. Count doing there was nothing that Callum Smith could do to get away from it, which was insane. Because we had seen I, in this fight, we saw again the biggest thing the wildest win is impressive. Though this is what we expected to happen is because of the fact that this Callum Smith was better than the Callum Smith that fought against Canelo Alvarez in every single facet. Confidence looked better, weight looked better. I talked about this earlier. His all in all fighting physique. And fighting confidence looked, looked on top to me. It looked as though this was the best Smith we had seen. And when he did get on the ropes, he didn't actually made an effort to get off and made efforts to fight back. Made efforts to throw combinations from his comfortable range. Wasn't just lying down and shelling up all the time. Was actually looking to counter and punch in between. Better be up shots wasn't just trying to survive, unlike what we saw in the fight with Canelo Alvarez. Now again, I'm not saying he was just trying, I'm not saying he did a Jamel Charlam, no. He just got outclassed by Canelo, and that power coupled with the legitimate ring IQ of Canelo and the defense, yeah, he just got beat, we understand it. In this fight, he showed more bite in trying to get out of that situation In in most of every facet, from what I could tell. And still, Archie B. did this level of just outright destruction. And when he would get Callum Smith to the ropes, consistently use combinations from range that he was comfortable with. Never smothered his punches. Never got too close to where he couldn't actually do work. Didn't let Callum Smith and all of his different angles and movement uh, confuse him. From what was going to consistently work was that jab that set up everything else. It was an incredibly flawless performance. It was great. It was phenomenal. And then the power really came into play because we saw him break down Callum Smith. From that jab alone, from that jab from the third round on, we saw that jab break him down. We saw that jab hurt him. We saw that jab sap energy. We saw the jab of Artur Betterbeef make Callum Smith slowly but surely be forced into a fight that he didn't want to get into. And from that point on, that's when, boom, we saw everything go his way. Ending in a big round in the fourth for Betterbeef. Continued domination in the fifth and sixth. From that jab going into, again, hooks, attacking the body of of Callum Smith. Credit to Callum Smith. He was attacking the body of Better Beard as well. But we saw Callum Smith, again, use all of that head attack to go to the body with thudding shots. I mean, thudding shots that we saw take effect. Then in the seventh, finally getting that opening, countering Callum Smith with a hook as Callum Smith was throwing a shot of his own, stunning him, knocking him down, and then knocking him down again. And then having his corner come in and stop the fight. This is a fighter who has never been knocked down or knocked out before by anybody, by any weight class, including Canelo Alvarez. And Archer better be have got it done. This, again, is a testament to his outright dominance as a boxer. The simplistic destruction is exactly what it is. It's just simple. It's nothing grandiose about it. It's nothing outright oh my gosh look at the the, look at the moves look at the the slipping look at just it's, it's nothing nothing like that it's just it's simple effective nonchalant almost and it's 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 mesmerizing to watch because it's like this brother's doing so much without doing anything at all it's insane it is insane Defense was some of the best that I've seen with Archie Bedebeev in this fight. With him being able to catch a lot of Callum Smith's punches. They were starting to get around the guard of Bedebeev, but then he adapted. Changed the angle that he would put his guard up and change the distance that he would step back from. Slipping. Simple left to right. No exaggeration, though. Just that. It was just simple. Inches. That's all he did. Just Inches. When the big shot would come in, would step back out and work his way back in. Nothing out of, nothing in a, ooh, we type fashion, in a oh my goodness type of, of presentation. It's just simple. And I'm parking on that because that is a major reason why this is going to be such a big fight against Bevo when it does get announced and looks, looks like, with, how, with what we've heard from Turkish uh, uh, al I mean, the, the, the Saudi Arabian um, ruler who put together all these events in Saudi Arabia, who put together the day put together Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou, who, who put together Usyk versus Fury. All of these big-time fights, who put together Anthony Joshua versus Francis Ngannou, now, we're seeing it now. This fight, may, this looking like he said, he wants to see Archibald to be a versus people. So it's looking like sooner rather than later. This year in about June, we might see that fight actually happen. And so simplistic destruction is important because that brings me to the next segment of the show. After that dominating performance, after him retaining the unified lightweight title, with his eyes now set on Bebo, and seemingly that fight being a lot to happen this year in June, around that time, June or July, this is the set next segment going to show. How is that fight going to go? How is that fight going to be dictated? What is going to happen when we see Bebo and be face off against each other? What's the biggest thing to look out for? And that thing is essentially the matchup between simplistic destruction and all around technical wizardry. That's what it is. Both are savants in their own right, but both do it in a different way. We got, and but both have eerily similar stuff going on with them when they do fight against each other. That's the thing about these two. When it comes to b-ball versus better be up, this is a fight is looking to see two people who draw from each other in terms of how they fight stylistically stylistically while at the same time are worlds apart from each other in how they fight how are they worlds apart or rather how are they similar they're similar in the fact that they both fight in a style or, or in a in a sense that dictates ma- distance management as the ultimate goal both of these people when they're most deadly in their offensive game both throw when they are at optimal range. Again, one of the few fighters in the world today who don't smother their punches. Both of them. We saw it with we, we saw it with B-B-F versus again just now with Callum Smith. We saw it with Archie versus Canelo. We saw and not excuse me. We saw it with Bebo versus Canelo. We saw it with Bebo versus Lyndon Arthur. Just recently this year. Both of them fight in a means to where they don't throw punches that are out of their range. They don't throw when it's not necessary. And when they are in range, they maximize, especially when you're on the ropes, by not allowing you to let up while throwing combinations where they are not only at the peak of their range and at the peak end of their shots, but also where they can keep the flow without putting themselves in danger in the process making so that you both can't attack nor defend from what they're trying to do. It's incredible. They'll throw combinations, and they won't take a step forward. They'll get you to the ropes, cut off the angle, and then they'll stay stationary, and they will throw shots. Only stepping maybe left to right when necessary, but never closing in that distance, keeping it right there. It's like they mastered that window, both of them. them. And both of them, when they do have you in a corner, on the ropes, in trouble, or in a situation that's advantageous to them, they both open up with sublime combinations. Head and to the body. Flurries and and flows. Combining both arm punches and punches with their hips. and, And they can go for days if they want to. And then they reset and continue that process. It's it's great. Offensively, both of these two are more similar than we want to believe with how they fight. It is absolutely true. Difference is one is more technical. And the other, while while maybe not having as much technique to them, has mastered the technique that they do it. Because we only this from a technical standpoint when it comes to these two boxers. This is not disrespect. But Bebo is a better technical boxer. Use of his angles, footwork, all around the, 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 the ability of using the ring. Bebo is better at. It. It's because that, that's just part of his ability. That's what makes him one of the best boxers in the world. It's what makes him on the power pound, pound list right now. It's not it's not disrespect. It's just that's what he is as a boxer. He's a Boxer, a quintessential boxer. Again, just like Better BF doesn't smother his punches, but has better footwork, has better use of slipping and defense, as well as being able to get in and out of range quicker and use angles that Better BF may not be able to do to make his offense even more diverse. That's just the truth of the matter. That's not disrespect to better beer. That's just what Bevo's game style is. Or game plan is, excuse me. That's, what, that's his bread and butter. That's what makes him so much of a great savant of a boxer. That's why we laud him. Again, even in the fight with Lyndon Arthur, though we knew Lyndon Arthur was, in my opinion, vastly under what Bevo is as a boxer, and it showed from a talent perspective, we still saw... Beevol doing things that we, Better Beehive just doesn't do. He just doesn't do it. It's just not part of his MO. It's not part of his skill set. Beevol has more in his arsenal. That's just a fact of the matter. Better Beehive doesn't have as much in his arsenal, but he's mastered what he does have to maximize his biggest weapon, which is pressure and power. And how does he do that? By keeping everything simple. It's it that that's what it is. Complex versus simple. It's 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 two plus two versus multiplication. Both of them are gonna get you the same answer. That's it's just how you get there. That's what it is. That's what this is. Maybe math isn't isn't the best example, but you understand what I'm saying. It's a Is one is a complex, diverse skill set in Bebo versus a simplistic yet incredibly effective, destructive skill set in Better Beer. Because you can say what you want. This isn't disrespect because that simplistic style has gotten him the highest knockout ratio of any boxer on the planet today. Who is a champion, 100% 20 and 0. Twenty KOs. Nobody has seen the end of a fight. Nobody. So and these are and quality opponents as well. Has retained all of those belts for a reason. This isn't just a fluke. No, this is. This is. It's, it's the. It's the duality of person. Somebody who is. Done, who, who has so much and uses so much at his disposal in Bevo versus somebody who does a, a few things, but those few things are mastered and destructive on every front, and it gets the job done just the same, it gets the job done quicker. Excuse me, but both of them accomplish the goal of winning the fight, and both are savants in their own respect. And so can the complexity of Bevo outmaneuver and outbox the simplistic, destructive ways of Archer better Beer? That's what this comes down to. And you would, some would say yes, some would say no. No. For me, I say it's, it's, it, this is a close to 50-50 fight as you can call it. And I have a better breakdown of the fight. Later on, no, don't get it twisted. But the biggest thing that you should look out for when it comes to this fight is the difference in power. That, in my opinion, is going to be the biggest change in all of this. Because they're so similar. And both of their styles are incredibly effective and can counteract each other perfectly. Bebo's volume and angles can confuse Better BF and get, get it so that not only does he get up on points, but he evades shots, frustrates Better BF, confuses him, and then is able to win the fight by split or unanimous decision because of the amount of offenses he was able to do and to mitigate how much destructive pressure and power Better BF is actually able to incur in the fight. It could go Bevo's way. Or we could see better be negate the technical wizardry of Bevo and flip the script and cause Bevo to be the one not just getting pressure, but now we also can't get away. Similar to what we saw with Callum Smith. And then eventually, boom, get him out of there. Both styles can counteract each other in a multitude of ways. But the biggest difference is going to be that power more than anything. And I say that because what did we see when we saw Lyndon Arthur go up against Archie Bedivio? Again, Lyndon Arthur's a tough brother. Credit to him. That, no disrespect to him. No disrespect to him at all. None at all. But to a degree, he was fighting to survive to some degree. Incredibly defensive. Wasn't really putting out as much offense at all. And Bivol was unabated in his ability to throw. All night long. Nothing coming back at him. And this was the most I had ever seen. Dimitri Bevo sit down on his shots. Throwing punches. Full force. Full power. With the intent of hurting and getting him out of there. Entirely. That was the main goal. And this was the the, the most offensively centric I've ever seen Bevo. Too caution to the wind to some degree, even with how technically sounded he is normally at all times. He just, he, he was willing to sit there, throw flurries on top of flurries. In some seconds, in some instances, 10 to 30 seconds of just straight up offense with nothing, with no defense in mind at all looking to get the KO, looking to fight against the stigma of being a quote-unquote boring fighter, all because he's so well-versed in the world of boxing and in what to do inside the ring that he can make a fight seem boring just because he can make it so his opponent can't hit him. And he's able to score at will. But he doesn't, because he doesn't go for the kill, he, it's just, boom, I can do whatever I want. My opponent can't do anything to me. And if knockout comes, the knockout comes, but I'm going to make sure that I'm always on my P's and Q's every single point in time. That is, in terms of the fighting world, the correct mentality, perfection that you want in terms of how a boxer thinks. However, that can lead to some boring instances, which is a stigma that he has gotten unfairly, but because he didn't score KOs left, right, and center, boom, or didn't stun opponents every single time he goes into a fight. People say, ah, ah it's just, ah, it's boring, ah, it's sleepy, ah, it's, ah. you know, even though it's not, it's incredibly beautiful to watch. He's a maestro, a painter, an artist, that's what b is, but, because he doesn't just score big knockouts all the time, gets deemed a boring fighter, which is not right, but he was actively fighting against that stigma when he fought against Lyndon Arthur, and still he couldn't get him out of there. Lennon is tough, like I said before, but still he couldn't get him out of there. Though the drastic difference in skill set, ability, talent, pedigree, and boxing ability was all there, still he couldn't get him out and knock him out. I believe he might have knocked him down, but never knocked him out. It was unanimous decision. And because of that, that brought something to mind. This is a situation where we could see Bevo and his boxing ability potentially not be enough, because we could see that his power can't keep better Bevo off him, and with better Bevo being simple and just doing what he needs to do. If that indeed does bode true still in this fight, which I can almost guarantee that mentality is not going anywhere, then that means that the best way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. And if that's the case, and we see that Bevo's power isn't enough to get better be up to at least respect, to respect what's coming back at, to respect what can potentially land against. Then we can see a situation where we see better be up. Now just walking straight through. I'll eat some shots to get to you. I'll take punishment to get to you and land on you. And from that point, we could see the technical ability of Bebo then go out the window because now it becomes ineffective. Because Bebo, again, he doesn't waste energy. So because he doesn't waste energy, he'll just go straight through you. That doesn't mean that that he's not smart in his own right as well. He will also be able to cut off the ring. He will also cut off exit angles. He will eat shots to get in range, and then when you try to escape, make it so that you don't. You only have one path, and that's to where he wants you to go, in terms of better be And if we see that happen, now we could see better better be essentially strip Bevo down to where you now have only at your disposal the same skill sets as me. And if it comes down to that. Now you're forced to eat shots. If you want to have any form. Of, you got to fight out of my pressure instead of just evading it outright. That's what he did to Callum Smith. That's what he's done against every other opponent. And if it bodes true that Bevo doesn't have the power to get, better be of respect, which I think is going to be true. Now we can see That the power difference, again, like I said, is going to be the biggest factor in the outcome of this fight. Because then it will make it so that Bevo's abilities are not going to be able to be used in their fullest capacity because they will be ripped away from by better Beer. Because since you don't have the power to make me respect you, I can keep on coming in. I can eat shots if necessary. Though my defense has become better, I understand. I get what better BF be has made leaps and bounds in, in his career. I get it, especially with this fight with Calvin Smith. This is the best defensively I've seen Bevo, or she Better BF, be beat to this stage in his career. I'm not saying it's 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 Floyd Mayweather, but I'm saying it's good. It's really good. But I also know that he won't use that if 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 it means the game plan to the simplest way of getting to the opponent and winning is going straight through. He'll let some shots land. He'll let you open up. He will eat shots. He'll be as defensively sound as possible, but he'll eat shots when he needs to. He'll eat punches when he needs to and force you into a situation where now you got to fight out of my pressure. And he'll strip away Bevo's skill set to be able to utilize the whole thing, to be able to utilize the footwork, to be able to utilize his jab to the fullest of its ability, to be able to have the ability to use off angles and different looks to confuse and score on his opponent. Make it so that Bevo now only has the same tools that better Bevo has. And when it comes down to that, now, what will Bevo be able to do? And this is going to be a situation where it's going to be running out of stamina. Like with Canelo Alvarez. Somebody as powerful as Archer better be Abia, who's stronger than Canelo. More destructive than Canelo. Who be gave credit to because of how much Canelo was attacking his arms and guard, which you saw on his body physically. With somebody that powerful and that determined, when you get put in that type of rock in a hard place, if you can't fight out, we could see a situation where now Bevo gets bloodied, beat up, and KO'd. It's a, real, it's a real possibility. Whoever you have in favor in that fight, there's a real situation where we could see Bevo get KO'd by better BF because everything that he wants to use gets stripped away. But all I know is I can't wait for that fight to happen. Because that fight happens, hey, we got we'll have undisputed at super bantam, at welterweight. Well, now we have one at Welterweight before he got stripped, but super at super middle, light heavyweight and at heavyweight. Landscape of boxing is changing for the better, and I'm loving it all. Loving it all. Now switching gears from the world of boxing into the world of the NBA, talking about the Pacers, who now, just about 50 minutes ago, just traded away, or just traded for, excuse me. Pascal Siakam, that's right, Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam now will be teammates together on the Indiana Pacers, who I believe are what sixth in the East at this point in time. Tyrese Halliburton having a absolutely phenomenal season, making themselves out to be one of the best point guards in the league today, one of the best passing point guards that we have in the basketball world. Now teamed up with Pascal Siakam, a very good quarterback quality star and he is a star again maybe not be on the bigger tier upstart but he is indeed a star on that team and now pairing up with Tyrese Halliburton this can be a situation where their offensive firepower has just gotten ramped up maybe not by much but by at least a an amount that you have to respect and say, okay, this can turn into something if it pans out. This can turn into something very advantageous for that team. And again, details of the trade. Pascal Siakam got traded away from the Toronto Raptors. Raptors receive Bruce Brown, Jordan Noir, 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 excuse me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, and three first-round picks, and the Pacers get Pascal Siakam. And this trade's been talked about, rumored about for a couple weeks to a couple months now, and it makes sense. The Toronto Raptors are in complete rebuild mode they're trying to build from the bottom up v2 in the draft and potentially in free agency and they'll probably trade away bruce brown and uh, and and potentially jordan noir if they can get some more first round picks in the process to bolster up their backload of options to have in order to get and develop through the draft get potential underlying stars in the draft and potentially find a new franchise player or use those draft picks in the draft not just two draft players but also you trade for other tilt core pieces once they do have their franchise okay, there's a bunch of ways that this can go for how this Toronto Raptors team wants to work but point blank being this is a sign that is full and entailed going to be rebuild mode for the Toronto Raptors and the city of Toronto Oh, how far they've fallen from their championship days in with Kawhi Leonard and us. But again, every team goes through. This It's a cycle, and this is a cycle that now they have to go through and essentially retool. We understand it. Now when it comes to the Pacers, Pacers, what did this put this team at in terms of the, the duo? How good can this duo actually be? And this duo can be, again, what is the ceiling? The ceiling is a... Potentially a team that can upset a lot of other squads in the playoffs and make a fast track for their ability to be a legitimate title contender within about three years with Pascal Siakam on a team if he signs long-term. Because, again, I believe this last year of his contract on the Toronto Raptors it was going into free agency at the end of this season. So if he does sign and stay with the Pacers for a long-term deal and they agree, okay, this can be looking good. This could be looking really good. Because, again, like I just said, with the firepower of Tyrese Halliburton and his passing ability, with what he's done with this current roster, which is not really, again, it has Miles Turner, respect. It has other good quality role players. But it's no big, dominant, great star to play alongside Tyrese Halliburton right now. He's doing this with a squad that, again, this isn't disrespect. It's just the truth. It doesn't have a bunch of big names to It doesn't have a a number one and number two star and star. It's uh, Tyrese Halliburton running the entire show. The entire thing. He's the main reason why their offense is so potent. He has been the main reason why their ability to space the floor has been so flourishing because of his ability to constantly find people. No, unlike what people say, it's not the scheme of the team. It's not just the offense that they run makes them so great. No, Tyree Saliburton has been the man that has been the engine driving what this team can be. Averaging what, 25 and 11? Had a stretch of, of putting up 40 and 15, 35 and 12, 35 and 15. On a night tonight, night, 25 and 15. His brother was was on a tear and it still is on a tear. Now this team is good as is right now. And that's without another quote unquote big name at their disposal. Now you get, you get Pascal Siakam. Again, not on the major tier of big names, but is was an all star is somebody who can put up 20 to 25 on a given night it's somebody who can who is a great defender a good defender at minimum and now with and now with him adding two One of the, excuse me, not one of. Now him adding to the most proficient offense in the NBA today, which is the Indiana Pacers. This team can look to really shake up the entire Eastern Conference and can potentially upset a lot of teams with this new player on this squad. This is going to be a situation that takes heat off of Tyrese Halliburton as being the only sole proprietor of offense in terms of garnering and developing. He can score on his own. Again, the spin cycle. The butter uses spin move every single time, but it's effective and it works. Nobody's been able to stop it. Has averaged 17 and 6 his entire career. He's averaging 22 points and I believe six, 6 rebounds this season. And it, it, what? 4 assists as well? It's not. So he's, again, he can also be deceptively a good passer and make the right play. He can make this offense even more fl- uh, proficient even more fluid, even more dangerous and makes, and this is a good pickup for the Patriots. This is going to be exciting to see. I can't wait for this. And if this stays long term, we can see the process of a real building threat in the Indiana Patriots for the rest of the Western or Eastern conference, excuse me, for potentially some years to come. If this indeed does happen, will we see Pascal kelsey stay? And if he stays, Continues his development, or not not development, continues his great production, and Tyrese Halliburton keeps on being the dominant player that we are seeing him flourish into right now, oh, this purchase team can be something lethal, not just this season, but down the line as well. Keep an eye on this. This is a good trade. This is a quality trade for them. And I'm excited for them. But also in the NBA, we got to talk about Joel Embiid putting up 41 points in their win against the Denver Nuggets and the Cooley Oaks. 101 by the Nuggets to 100, or excuse me, 126 into 121 win for the 76ers over the Denver Nuggets and a performance for the ages for the two best big men in the NBA today with Joel and me putting up 41 points seven assists and 10 boards opposed to Jokic's 21 or excuse me 25 points 19 boards and I believe what three assists with Jamal Murray carrying more of the playmaking load for this squad on the Denver Nuggets, this game was a barn burner. Two of the, two of some of the best teams in both the East and the West, with Joel Embiid just having an outright monster game, a statement game. And this game, we can see, put him in in real well not even in real consideration, has us now asking, okay, is he a lock right now to be considered a favorite for MVP at this point in the season? And right now we got to see it with them averaging better numbers than he did in his MVP year. And you can say what you want about what who should have won last year with Jokic or Embiid. I think Jokic should have won it last year. But then Embiid winning it is no it's not a disrespectful win. He did do had a phenomenal season. Yes, he did, and he's having a better season this year than he was last year. And with him being the real sole proprietor for why this team is successful. Again, they traded away James Harden. They don't, the own now is him, Maxi, or, 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 or Tyrese Maxi, Tobias Harris, and everybody else running that squad without a big name number two. And he's been putting in work, just outright, dominating in every facet of the game, playing like a better version of last year. 88% from the free throw line, 36% from three. What was it was 53 54% from the field outright. Defense has gotten great. Offense has developed even more. And what he did against the Nuggets was it was a demolition job. He could not be stopped. Could not be stopped at all. This man, Joel Embiid, has been putting in so much work. Right now, it's, it's no harm to say that he's the favorite to win and repeat at this stage in the season. Should be the leading candidate in my estimation. And yes, we know we got Jokic averaging 25, 11, and 8. Just about 25, 12, and 8. Had 11 offensive boards in this game alone. Him offensively, even with him not passing the ball, not in not just going, keeping the offense alive, out-rebounding everybody, everybody, on both teams. We see the effect that he has on the game. This is not a knock at Nikola Jokic. Again, while Jokic, in my opinion, is the better big man in terms of all-around ability, but Joel Embiid right now is having a better season and should be MVP. And Joel Embiid right now, if he's playing like this, we could have a real conversation that, hey, maybe the best big man in the league isn't Nikola Jokic. Now, we still got a ways to go before I make that claim. Oh, we still got a ways to go. I'm not going to deny what we see now. I'm not going to just overlook what we've seen for the last three years from Nikola Jokic. No. Nikola Jokic is still, in my opinion, the best big man in basketball. One game doesn't just define everything outright. At this stage in the season, no, it doesn't. And with the numbers that Jokic is putting up, and with some stuff he's done this season alone, literally perfect games from the field 25, 11, and 10, 25, 15, and 12, affecting the game without scoring more than 10 points and still feeling like he's unstoppable. That's undeniable. We understand that defensively he's not the best big man we get that though he's deceptively good again he may not be a shot blocker not athletic but he knows how to position his body get in the way and affect the opponent somebody like you want you just you just can't stop it's just a given you just you just can't stop that at, at, right now you just can't stop that level of production and physical presence. Because again, he's a physical player. But but Jokic is, again, footwork is still better. Shot His shot-making ability is, my goodness, well above Joel Embiid. Down in the paint, he's just as lethal. It's just his bread and butter is passing. While also being a dominant scorer. And nonchalantly putting up 30. It's a it's a whole hum thirty rather to allow thirty that we see Joel B do, but they're both incredibly effective. But for me, it's still Jokic is is the better big man. But Joel B right now should be leading candidate for MVP because his p- production at this game, at this stage in the season, is undeniable. It's just undeniable, and we got again. And will it keep on going throughout the season? Most likely. But still, like with everything, consistency is always the key. And we have to see that come to fruition. But, again, this matchup just never gets old between these two. This matchup never gets old. It never gets old. Looking at Duel and beating Yogi whenever they play against each other, it's always a game that you have to turn it, tune into. Whether you're a big-time fan or a casual, this is a game that you always set your calendar for. Because you know what they're both going to bring to the table. And both of them can't stop each other. They just they just can't. Jokic can't stop Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid can't stop Nikola Jokic. There's nothing that can be done, and both are playing at the peak of their powers. Both got help. Both teams are some of the best in the league right now. With the Sixers being third again, this is without a big time secondary star, solely with Joel Embiid running the show. They are they are third in the East. And Nicole Jokic got his team what I, I believe in the top five in the West, if not a minimum sixth. No, it's 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 insane what what these two are doing with their respective teams. And I love to see it. I love it. But by the all star break, is when we're gonna have a clearer picture as to who is indeed the better person. And potentially, who indeed is the best player in the world? Because coming into the season, it was Nikola Jokic, unequivocally, absolutely, it was Nikola Jokic. And as the season kept progressing, Nikola Jokic still is that guy. Now, where we see Joel Embiid performing at this point in the season, now there's a real question. Now it's not—it's not just for the most part irrefutable. Now, hey. There can be a real instance where we're going to be saying Joel Embiid is actually the best player. I'm not saying it's going get, to get to that point. But the prospect now has become apparent. At least for me. Maybe you have him as the best. Maybe you have Giannis as the best. Maybe you have Jokic as the best. Whoever you have, there's a real distinction that stuff is being challenged. And Joel Embiid is shaking up the landscape of the hierarchy of the NBA. We always knew that he was up there amongst the elite of the elite. We knew he was top five. Dude was top three. We've been completely honest. But where he was was something to be disputed. Now that muddy, foggy conversation might be starting to clear up a little bit. If he keeps performing like this, but I can't. But we just have to wait and see. We just got to wait and see. And finally, as we go into the last half of the show. We have to talk about the NFL and with the, specifically, all the craziness that happened with the wild card season. Again, Chiefs move on and, and, and route the Dolphins. C.J. Stroud has a phenomenal game going up against the Cleveland Browns, muddying the, essentially, resurgence of Joe Flacco. Big game Joe, who had been having a incredible run on the Browns' this season, with Deshaun Watson being on the sidelines. Now put that to an end, one of the youngest quarterbacks to get a a playoff victory, had one of the best games in his playoff debut, taking this team, the Texans, who were bottom of the barrel into a real playoff contender which nobody expected. It's, uh, hats off to him, H- in fact, hats off to C.J. Strick. Already playing at an MVP caliber level in his first season. Looking like he's going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year outright. I don't really know who else can be put in that conversation. Definitely not Bryce Young <laughs> for obvious reasons. But he's, 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 again, already at this stage, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The future is so bright with a team that at this point in time looked like he was bereft of anything. To be able to say, okay, they have any talent. Now, oh my goodness. One player has turned this whole organization around. And it's playing like an absolute dog. Give credit to him. This brother is a star in the making. Now I don't think he's going to get too far. But who knows what may happen. Legitimately. Who knows. But this is an incredible start to a flourishing career. That I wish Carolina had picked up on. But that I want to watch. I want to see what he can do with the Texans as they now build and grow. As they now look to be now a situation where okay, we can get, we can actually with this brother, we can get some people that want to come to Houston. We can get some quality players now to be able to want to sign it. Cause we're not just a, a, a bottom of the barrel franchise no more. We got some, some light. There's a light at the end of the tunnel legitimately. Oh my gosh. And then on top of that, now we have to go to the biggest stories, as opposed to Chiefs winning, as opposed to the coming out party, or rather the the, the cherry on top of a phenomenal rookie year for CJ Stroud. Eagles and, and Cowboys both lose in abysmal fashion. Eagles lose to the Bucks in an outright demolition job by the by the Buccaneers. Becky Mayfield, hey throwing it in everybody's faces, myself included, who's called him a bum, which he was a bum for all of his time on the Browns, on the L.A. Rams, or not not as much on the L.A. Rams, but on the Browns and in Carolina, having playing not quality football. He just has, that's objectively true. And what I said back then was true. Now he's evolved into actually looking like a good QB, looking like it. Looking like the Beckham Mayfield, if he was on that Brown squad, hey, they may have actually gotten to a Super Bowl. When they had Nick Chubb, when they had Landry, when they had OBJ, when they had one of the best defenses and offenses in the league, collectively. And when they had one of the best O-lines in the league. It shouldn't have failed, but it did when he was on that squad. And now he's on the Bucks, and it's, he's putting it together. For now, i to gain 200-plus yards, a couple touchdowns ate up that Eagles defense. James Bradbury made himself look like a fool. My word. Coverage was abysmal. They couldn't get anything going. The outright dominating train that the Eagles were early on in the season, going, what, 10-1, and one, with nobody being able to stop the tush push, seemingly one of the most effective uh, plays in football for them specifically. Now, all of a sudden, it's, it's null and void. They, there's, this Eagles team just fell off the map as the season went on. To everybody's surprise, myself included. What the world happened? What in the world happened? It's a legitimate conundrum. And I don't have the answers for them, which is sad. But the one answer I can potentially hypothesize is the fact that the roster is built Not like the contending team that they were looking to be. And they truly are a regular season type team. Just not a playoff squad. Because look at what happened when they got to the playoffs. But see, that question can be applicable to them. But I can't apply it to the Cowboys. That's where stuff gets confusing. That's where stuff gets strange. How is it that this Cowboys squad, with how good that they were on paper, how much quality offense and defense that they had. One of the best defenses in the league. Top five the league. Top three offense in the league. Everything at their disposal. Had a cornerback court that was one of the most potent interception teams in the league. Broke the record for most touchdown pick sixes in a season. Something that we never thought was yet. Something that we never thought was. Something that got Jim Nance out of his seat. If it was Jim Nance that was on that call, whoever it was, literally historic moment. Defensively looked phenomenal. Michael Parsons looking like a dog, like he always is. Dak Prescott, Tony Pollard, C.D. Lamb, Gallup, everybody showing up and playing quality time, quality chemistry games together, looking like a bulldozer of a franchise. Looked more than just an on-paper good squad. Looked more than just like a regular season team. Everything should have been that this team is equipped to get to a Super Bowl. This team is equipped to be able to be a playoff performer. Nothing about this organization showed any signs of just regular team status in terms of a, a hopeful Super Bowl contender. And nothing looked like it was going to be a situation where this team just collapses. Lo and behold, they they get routed. They get absolutely routed. Destroyed by Green Bay. A team that, by all accounts, they should be better than. And again, credit to Green Bay. Their defensive scheme was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Had Dick Prescott in fits. And this is Dick Prescott who had Overcome the allegations of not being able to be a playoff performer or not being able to be a consistent performer. Mainly because of his actually ability to be consistent and throw, and not nearly as many interceptions as we had seen throughout the entire tenure of his Dallas career. That's every progression that we that we would see him make, he would always regress and turn into an interception, an interception god. See when he curtailed it, had become smarter, had become more. More methodical. Better pocket presence. Better decision maker. Everything looked like we, we they had solved the riddle. And, and that was essentially the riddle. If Dak Prescott played consistently, this team can get to a Super Bowl. That is what happened. And look at what happened. Falls apart in this game. Guy those were for 400 yards. See, I believe, was it? 86 86- 66 QBR rating does two interceptions and I mean just it has nothing going for him against a Green Bay defense that shouldn't have been able to compete with that level of offensive fiber seemingly with what we knew the Cowboys could and were doing throughout the season Yes, we hear it all around the world now. Cowboys see what well, can't go wrong will go wrong. They were a regular season team all along. We should never trust them. Yeah, in this case, we should have. Because in this case, they seem like they had nixed the issues. Now they're befuddled and I'm befuddled. Because this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be a problem. This shouldn't be a circumstance that we're looking at. Yet we are. I legitimately have no answers for what the the Cowboys should do. This was their best opportunity to get to a Super Bowl. This was their best shot. uh, Amongst all the other years I had seen this team compete, no opportunity, no roster looked like it was equipped to get to a title more than this one. Where their defense was up to the tops, offense was up to the tops, and their QB was playing like their QB needed to be. Seemingly, nothing was could go wrong. Nothing could be, the bottom couldn't just fall out. There was no way. It looked like this team was going to be built to be foolproof. And turned from a personnel standpoint, everybody has something to contribute, and every one. Is legitimately a threat on every facet of the field, and they got the chemistry to be able to not fall out to this big of a degree. <laughs> and now look at where we are. It's it's a it's huh. This it's insane. It's it's insane. I don't I don't know what I don't know what to do. I legitimately don't. I'm at a words. One of the biggest breakdowns I have ever seen from anything, let alone the Cowboys squad. And this should be seen as one of the most detrimental losses that we've seen from a Cowboys team. Especially one of this ilk. Because this isn't like a robbery. Was it a catch? Wasn't a catch. This isn't a situation where it's a, you know, you, you, you were wronged. A call didn't go your way. The refs messed up like they've been doing a lot this season. This isn't like that. It's just outright—you got beat, and the score didn't tell the story. Thirty to was it thirty to thirty to forty forty-two. It was twenty-seven to zero at halftime. It was let's get maybe twenty-seven to three whatever the case was. They got routed at one point, 27 to point, 27-0. Straight back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back scores, and there was nothing they could do. Green Bay almost looked like they let their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter, which is why the score got to what the score was. It was sad. It was just sad. It was just outright sad. And it's... I legitimately don't know what to say. Maybe it's, maybe it's the coach. Maybe Cartier's got to get out there. Maybe he's got to get out. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's the QB. I, I don't know. There's so many things you can point to as to why this loss was so egregious that it's, it's, it's a number of problems. There's a, they got a clean house. They have to clean house with how they go about this whole organization now. Maybe "clean out" is the wrong word. They got to renovate because this this just shouldn't happen. There's a retooling that I didn't expect ever to happen. At least not to this degree. And now, who boy, Dallas is in dire straits because this was supposed to be hit. And all of a sudden, they feel like they're back at square one. It feel like it feels like Dallas is back at square one. It feels like they are right back to rebuilding again, though they have everybody on the roster that are quality players. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like now they are retooling, restarting. All just, oh boy. You're almost you you're almost in shock. You are almost in shock. Cause it just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense exactly what we saw from Dallas. Yet, yet it happened. Yet it happened, and it's just—it's—it's it's insane to see. It's all I can say. It's just insane to see. Also, real quick, Dallas went out, finally got the first playoff victory in 33 years. What a phenomenal and against the LA Rams and Matthew Stafford. My goodness, congrats to them. I'm telling you. I was big on Detroit in the past. With them now having a coach they can actually fall behind and galvanize towards and actually want to play for. Look at what has got this team. Jared Goff playing great. Running game playing great. Though they lost, seemingly lost their best running back. Everything is clicking for this Detroit squad. And this could be a Cinderella story in the making. Who knows? Oh, we'll just have to see. But anyway, Dallas finally got their victory. And credit to them, phenomenal. 33 years of a drought. It's finally over. Thank goodness. Potentially potentially could be the feel-good story of this NFL season. If it ends with an unexpected Super Bowl win. Who knows? Everything's so unpredictable at this moment in time in the NFL. We just have to wait and see what happens. But with that being said, this has been another episode of the World Trip I have been John LeQuiz, you all have been wonderful, thank you for tuning in, thank you for listening again, we're available on every podcasting platform, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know, so we can build this this franchise of an empire, Not, not excuse me, so we can build this empire of a channel together, make this old franchise incredible, build it up, oh yeah, keep on feeding me. All the support, because we will feed it right back to you in the form of investing back into the show, absolutely. And is right five stars everywhere on every podcasting platform. I've been Sean LeGuerre, you've been beautiful. Peace and love. We are out of here.